This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. Podcast listeners, hello and welcome to another week. Hope you've had a great week. Hope you enjoyed the last episode. Today, I have a guy named Connor Harris on the podcast. Connor is a brilliant, I guess you call him a trainer, a coach, movement specialist, biomechanics expert, movement efficiency expert. All of these would be accurate titles for Connor. I know Connor because I follow him as a student. I am a, an active student of his work. He has a brilliant mind. He has a knack for making what I would call complex concepts about human movement easier to digest and easier to make applicable for the clients that you work with. And even after 16 plus years in this industry, I always want to learn. And Connor's quickly risen to the top of the list of people that I, I learn from daily. I'm currently in, well, I guess approaching the end of a biomechanics course that I would highly recommend to all the coaches and trainers out there. But the truth is, that's not what this podcast is about. We'll get into some of that. We'll talk some training. We'll talk about some things that will help you with your training, whether you are a trainer or someone who is just trying to move better. What I wanted to talk to Connor about was him as a, as a young entrepreneur, as a businessman, because what he was able to do amongst the pandemic and the, the terrible situation that COVID was is nothing short of impressive. And for those of you who are trying to do something with their lives in terms of entrepreneurship, let's call it, Connor is going to tell you a story about how, how he kind of went with the flow, how he took opportunities that came and how he really didn't have necessarily the plan, at least not the plan that he ended up with. So regardless of the reason you are, are listening today, you are going to learn a lot, a lot from Connor Harris. Please rate and review the episode. Please look him up, follow him and let me or him know if you have any questions. Listen in and enjoy. All right, listeners, here we go. We are on with Connor Harris, who I am I am proud to say I have learned more from in the past handful of weeks than anyone else I can remember in a long time. And I've been doing this job for a long, long time. We won't say how many years. But Connor, just want to say thank you for taking the time and thank you for being on. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's a huge compliment. And it's a it's an honor to hear that. It's a privilege to be here. And I'm excited to just chat it up with you. Well. What you're doing is impressive, and we'll get into that. But uh, what I want to begin with is maybe you give the listeners that don't know about you a little background. You know what you do, who you are, where you're from. Definitely. Um, currently, I am in Portland, Oregon. I was uh, pretty much raised here. I've lived all across the country, but uh, I've kind of been back and forth from Oregon. And uh, I think this is just kind of where I'm meant to be. I been here since uh, early middle school. So this is just a place that I like to call home. I've opened up a gym here in the last, literally the last four weeks. It's a uh, brand new. So that's where the majority of my efforts are being focused right now is how do I develop my business in person? Because I got started online. I got started with, uh, I guess we can get into that later, but 
I got started during COVID at the very beginning, right place, right time type of situation. And it just worked out in my favor. And um, it, it was actually really interesting timing because I had moved back from North Carolina to Oregon and I was over in North Carolina learning uh, a lot about this methodology, PRI, Postural Restoration Institute. And then I was starting to integrate it with other things. And I had gotten a pretty good grasp on where I wanted to be with it and how I was integrating and building my own sort of like um, perspective using those concepts. And so I wanted to start teaching it. I wanted to start because I started to realize I thought everyone had a huge like grasp on this because everyone talks a big game on the Internet. And I was like, oh, man, do I really even know anything? But then I started to realize that I actually knew way more than a lot of other people out there. I was like, hang on a second. Like I could, you know, I could do something with this. And so I started that uh, biomechanics program and it's been growing <laughs> at a pace I almost can't even handle at this point. So it's, it's a blessing and a curse, but it's more of a blessing than anything else for sure. I'm very fortunate. And it was one of those things where right at the beginning of COVID, I don't think I realized I knew what I was doing. And I just kind of started this thing and it's taken off more than I could really ever have imagined. But now that COVID's coming to an end in Oregon, literally tomorrow, actually, we're going to be all masks off. Everything is rocking and rolling, which is great. So this is the right time to get the business rolling. And while online stuff is great, I do and have felt a little bit of burnout from it. I'm sure you, you understand what that's like. I'm sure you've been there with that. And everyone has that spends a lot of time on Zoom. So I'm ready to be in person, connect with other humans in an in-person environment and just get back into coaching because that's really where my heart is. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, I've only been a private trainer. I've worked with, besides my athlete work, that's been back and forth. But, you know, for 16 years, I've been a private trainer. And to temporarily switch to a Zoom and an online platform was tough. Yeah. It was tough. It, it took took a lot out of me. So I give you a lot of credit to be able to start something on that platform. I mean, I don't, and you know, and maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's maybe you're better off because that's where you kicked it off. You know, I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, but you're right. It, it it can be exhausting, especially for the type of work that you do. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's where I get really impressed by you is the assessing that you do and the the level of things you do and the need to see people move. For your ability to do that on a screen it's a talent. It's a skill. So I give you a lot of credit. Um, you know, and yeah, please. Yeah. So to dig into, to kind of, well, let's, let's go back to where you first started. What if COVID didn't hit? Dude, I don't even know. (laughs) To be honest with you, I don't even know. That's such a, I've never, I've never, I've thought about that, but I haven't really gone down that rabbit hole because I think I might be afraid of what the answer might be. I, I just don't know. I, I surely would not be here today. COVID was the best and worst thing that ever happened to me. Um, actually, the reason why I moved back to Oregon in the first place was because my father had just randomly passed away, went to bed one night, didn't get up. And so I was like, I'm going to come home, take care of my family. Uh, and then at the same time, I was kind of, it was, it was a blessing uh, in disguise in a little bit because I was going to be around friends and family and I was going to be around loved ones and things like that because I was over in North Carolina, didn't really have any friends over there. So it was nice to come back here and it was nice to just sort of be back home. But then boom, two weeks later, COVID hits. And then I was like, well, what do I do? So I ended up 
just brainstorming for for weeks trying to find a job desperately trying to do anything like to be honest with you i didn't even have a job before that started because i kind of scrambled to move back to oregon and i was like well what do i do with this so i started doing this one-on-one um coaching sort of like it's like the most bare bones vanilla version of my biomechanics program because i wanted to start to get it to uh roll a little bit i wanted to I didn't know where it was going to go, but I knew that I had um, some tools that people were willing to spend some money on. So I was charging very little, um, doing like the one-on-one. I would do, (laughs) I did probably, oh man, I think at one point I had 25 individuals going through it. So I was doing 25 of the same presentation every single week or like some iteration of it. But that also allowed me to hone my craft and be very confident in what I speak in. Um, you know, you make all the mistakes early, out of the way early, and that was really nice. But ultimately, man, like COVID was such a great thing that happened in terms of my business, in terms of everything else. It was terrible. But I think if COVID didn't happen, I probably would have been forced to find just your regular training job. You know, I, I have a pretty good resume in terms of. Um, strength and conditioning and, and training. So I'm sure I would have found something somewhere, but man, I, I don't know. That's that's like not a not not a path I have explored too much. My listeners know I'm in a similar boat to where I, I lost my father. By the way, I'm so sorry to hear that. I didn't know that. So mm, very, very sorry to hear that. I I, I can uh, you know empathize a bit, but you almost feel bad, don't you? Saying like you know COVID as terrible as it was and the, and the lives that were lost, yet somehow people like you managed to, to find the good in it and to take it as an opportunity. And I don't know about you, but I, there's a little bit of a guilt in saying that. Like I hate saying like, oh, COVID brought me a lot of good when it brought so much bad, but that's not what it's about. It's, it's really more about the individual's attitude and ability to take a negative situation into a positive. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so good for you that you could take a, a double bad situation and you're in your case, and spin it, you know, so, you know, where, where I'd like to go is prior to you moving back to Oregon, you know, I, you already had this base of knowledge that mm-hmm. you got to use, at least you started it. You know, I don't know how deep it was at that point, but at least you had, <clears throat> you had started this base of knowledge that again, as a trainer, that's been in the field for, you know, closer to 20 years than 10, it's an advanced base of knowledge. How did you get into it? You know, what, what got you? you know, PRI is normally something that people stumble upon after they've been through years of stuff. Yeah. So, so you know, at, a, at a younger age, how do you stumble across the base of knowledge you have so early? I can tell you that it was just crazy coincidence. Um, so, okay. I started off, what was that? My freshman year of college, I knew I wanted to be like a strength and conditioning coach. And I think like the natural progression of things is people want to work with high level athletes. I was like, okay, how do I get on the path Mm -hmm. to work with the highest of high level athletes? So I started doing, I picked up a personal training gig at the gym, uh, university gym. I started doing a couple of, um, internships that were like at the school, but I had a mentor at the time named Guido Van Rysen and he Uh, recommended that I do this first summer unpaid internship in Salem, Oregon, which was a 45 minute drive. So I had to go unpaid first of all, but then 45 minutes there and back. And that was my whole summer for the most part. And I was like, this sounds like 
crazy. This is going to eat every cent of savings that I have. Literally, like actually, I probably was in the red after that. And when I got there, this guy was just in this, uh, <laughs> his name's Aaron Haig. He was literally in a basement of this like industrial building and had a couple squat racks, was not a crazy fancy setup whatsoever, but he was getting the job done, had a client base. And he, I came into that internship and he's like, I disagree with almost everything that you think about when it comes to human movement. I was like, wow, okay. You know, like, <laughs> let's see what this is about. I was a little skeptical. And uh, I actually had a back injury at the time from ego deadlifting, you know, trying to impress all the other trainers at the gym. And sure. I, I was doing the classic back rehab stuff and it wasn't working. It was going really badly. And I don't know if you've ever had a significant SI joint or low back injury, but that is, uh, for do, do you care if I swear on this? No, you're good. You're clear. That shit sucks. <laughs> it's horrible. It's yeah, horrible. It sure does. Yeah. And I just, nothing was working. McKinsey extensions weren't working, you know, like hip mobility stuff wasn't working. So he just got me to do some, a couple of PRI drills, really classic stuff. And I had felt the best I ever had. Even prior to the injury, I felt like, wow, I feel incredible right now. And I was bought in after that. And what was ironic about that situation is that that was the only gym in all of Oregon at the time that was doing anything related to PRI. There were physical therapists and things like that, but no one, no one was implementing it on a, a fitness level. And so after that, I, I went back to Oregon State for my junior year of college. And then I started to intern at the sports performance facility where there's like the baseball, basketball, football, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I run, again, this is like how much luck I've been exposed to. The only other person that I knew or had ever heard that was implementing PRI in Oregon in a high performance environment was the strength and conditioning coach of the Oregon State baseball team, Chris Anderson. And he was, he had a pretty high level understanding of a lot of things. Actually, the baseball team won the title that year and they had very few injuries like that. All the, everyone was moving so well. He was incorporating PRI with RPR and like all these other things. And so I got to learn under him for a solid year and how he implemented it with athletes. And then I was like, all right, this is the real deal. So I moved to Phoenix for a summer to do an internship with a company called Exos, which is a performance training company. And then um, I could either go the route of Exos or I could, which I, great company, have yep. nothing but good mm -hmm. things to say about them. Right. Or I could pursue this other thing that was kind of tugging at my, tugging at my gut a little bit of like, why don't you go learn more about that thing that no one else really knows about? So. I sent an email to every, literally every PRI clinic in the country saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm looking for. Do you need anyone? And I still get, I still get messages to this day of people that have reached out to me as like, Hey, you tried to apply for a job at my place. Once like, I, I guess I did. I sent one out to every single one. <laughs> and, uh, I ended up getting one position in North Carolina and that's what set that in motion. Very, very cool the importance of a good mentor early, mm -hmm. you know, in, in our field, it's so, and, and even more so now than when I started because social media, it's so easy to get linked into, I don't want to say the wrong person. Cause there's a lot of methodologies out there. And the, my mindset has always been results are king. 
Mm -hmm. If something works, it works. You know, however you get there, you get there. You know, obviously the science will say your odds are better starting somewhere, but in the end, I'm a results person. If someone comes to me and says, hey, I've done this and it's done this for me and I like it, I'm probably not going to argue with them on it. You know, but having said that, there are a lot of opinions and there are a lot of extremists. So to walk into a good mentor so early, you said the word luck and I agree. I think it's lucky. And I can say that as the same thing. My first job was right with a rehab company, Athletico, which is big here. And, you know, they do, they work with the Chicago fire, which is who I started with. Yeah. If I didn't walk into the right two people who I still talk to, you know, these days, I don't know where I would have gone. Yeah. You know? So, you know, I don't know if you can talk on that more, but you know, the idea of walking into the right person, how lucky that was for you. It it is, it is luck, but you also create your own luck. You know, I'm sure with the person that you're referring to, uh, those two people, I'm sure like you didn't stumble into them. Like you didn't spill your coffee on them at the office. (laughs) I'm sure that you took some steps to get to where you are and to have that opportunity presented to you. I know that's cliche. People are like, yeah, I've, I've heard that before, but really what I found people that find these mentors do is like, they, they go and they actively pursue it. They're going to go talk to the best resource they possibly know. And being in a university setting is huge. If there's any college kids listening to this, like go talk to the best resource. They're going to point you to someone. And then you just got to keep following that chain until you hit someone who's got something that's very valuable. And then it's kind of like what they always say about those internships and being under someone is that you have to just be a sponge and you have to actually show that you're invested and you and you're learning because I've, I look at it now, if I were to have an intern, if that intern displayed that level of commitment, I'd be all in on this kid. I would give him everything I have. And I, I see that now, but whereas back then I just thought of myself as another uh, fish in the sea, so to speak. But I think what helped those people invest in me was that I clearly had this drive that was worth investing in. And I think being on the other side of that now, not that I've ever had an intern or I'm going to soon, just thinking about that, that's what I would be looking for. Uh, Well, you know, and you're absolutely right. And especially about the making your own luck part, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, I I did the same thing you did, right? I, I, I chose an internship that led me down the tunnels of these two people. So you're right. In, In a lot of ways, maybe it was little luck, but it was, it was taking the opportunity. I have two unpaid interns in my gym mm. that came to me and said, I just want to learn. Can I hang out? Come on in. Yeah. Come on in. Come in, come in all day. If you want, come in two hours, come in 12. There it is right there. You know, and, and that actually might lead me to where I love what you're doing is, you know, when I, when I'm on your calls, there are so many clearly young individuals on your calls. So, you know, we can get into how you've monetized your business in a minute. But from someone who is passionate about our field and who at this point in my career, I can never do anything else. I don't know anything else outside of uh, fitness and coaching. I'm lost without it. And that's okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay saying that. But to see how many 25 under age individuals that are on your calls, it's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Because now that next generation of trainers is so much better because there's people like you and the Kyles and you know the other people we've, that are in our kind of circle that are out there. Do you see that a lot? Do you see mostly the younger individual that gravitates to you and wants to learn from you? Or do you see a wide age spectrum? 
you know, I, I've tried to pay attention to my demographics more more now. And I think the age range I attract the most is is like 22 to 30. Okay. Um, that seems to be the age range that is very attractive to attracted to what I'm putting out. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of like the same thing of you attract people who are kind of like you. So I'm going to attract people who are in that age range. And also personality speaking, like you're going to attract people that are similar to you. But what I think is really impressive is when I see someone that's like 40, 45, I've had a couple of those people in there too, because frankly, you know, I got a baby face. I don't look like someone who's 40 years old. And to me, it's like, how do I communicate to this person that this is a valuable skill and a valuable tool, yet I'm not coming off as like, you know, a cocky young jock or something like that. That is what I personally uh, and mentally struggled with for a very long mm-hmm. time when I started this whole process is like, how do I come off as not a jackass, <clears throat> but I've got something that's useful for people that are definitely like a decade older than me. Right. So that, that was the, that was the thing. And still to this day, I get a little bit of that, like the imposter syndrome and all that stuff. And it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm like a figure in the fitness industry at all or anything like that, but that's eventually where I hope to be. Um, but ultimately it's like, yeah, you're going to attract the younger generation. If you're someone who's younger, which I think is great. And I can use that to my advantage, but I think there's a surprising amount of people over the age of 40 that have taken the course, uh, and have been active participants. And I think that that is really cool because that's a reflection of them, uh, being willing to learn from anyone and being willing to put in the work. I think that, because then like those people have perspectives that can offer value to me and the rest of the group. If someone mm-hmm. speaks up and talks about their experience or what they have seen to be the case, I think that's way more helpful than me just going on, just keep talking for the entire time. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I absolutely do because I'm I'm one of those people. Yeah. You know, I've, I've probably got about a decade on you. I've been in the field for 16 years and, and I, can, I can tell you right now, you, you are very good at exactly what you just said. You are educated, you come across confident, but you don't come across as someone who's trying to pretend you have 20 years of experience that that person has. Um, I think you relate very well to all ages, which is which is great. I think you do a great job with that. Um, I appreciate that. Maybe I should talk more during our, but I don't. I know I don't. <laughs> I like, you know, I talk so much between this and my speaking engagements that when I'm learning, I like to just sit back and learn. Like it's it's nice to not use my voice. Dude, um, when I go home, I, I literally sit there and I just eat my dinner. And I just like, if my roommate comes downstairs, I won't say anything to them. <laughs> just like, well, I got to not hear the sound of my own voice. Uh, wait, wait till you get married one day and yeah. have kids <laughs> and you have no choice but to go home and use your voice. It's oh, tough. It, you, it's, it takes a patience level. That's for sure. But you're right. You, you spend all day in such a high focused element. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's hard to keep that up for, for any other relationship, friend, family, whatever, when, when you go home. So you're right. So, you know, the, the course I'm in with you, which I love, and we'll get into the training side of it and the science side of it. Cause I, I'd love for the average person to hear your take on the human movement. I think we're mm-hmm. going to get to that. But if we keep on the, the business side first, I can do math. I know what, I know what I've paid to be in your course. I know how many people are in the course, mm-hmm. you know, you have, you have taken your education and you found a way to, and by my, well, humbly share it. Awesome. But, but you've returned into a very successful business and those numbers are your business, not mine, but 
you know, I, I guess let's, let's say how, you know, and let's talk from, from the, from the learning side all the way through. If you're a younger version of me, let's say I met you and I'm still 22 before I started speaking at hospitals and doing everything that I get to do. What would your advice be to me for someone that wants to eventually do what you're doing in person, you own a gym and you're running this online platform and you get a high volume of people that respect and want to hear from you. Because I know you said earlier, you're, you know, that maybe you're not, but I think you are a huge presence already in this field. And the fact that you're sitting there speaking with the Pat Davidsons of the world soon is a testament to that, you know? So to give you credit, so back to the question, what's your advice to someone like me 15 years ago? That seems like a long time. I don't want to talk about that. But what's your advice to someone like me who wants to get into doing what you're doing? Yeah, so like the goal is to follow the same career path. I think the first and most important thing would be to spend a significant amount of time. Like I know I'm young, but I'm not like a baby. I think I've spent probably seven years of my life hammering in person learning experiences, whether that be internships, jobs that don't pay jack shit, or if that's just like digging my head into a book for hours at a time. And the number one thing you can do is get a mentor in person. Like the online thing's great, but nothing can beat being right next to someone and learning from them. I would say develop a skill set that is going to Basically, you're not going to find it in like a textbook a lot of the times. You find a skill set, find someone that's got unique value that gets objective results, which is much, e- much easier said than done. Mm-hmm. But find that even if it's like, you know, um, like FRC, whatever, find someone that gets the best results, you know, and then go learn from them and be willing to work for free, be willing to do all that stuff. And then I would say the number, there's two things I think helped me the most. Uh, when COVID first started, one thing I did was I, uh, I only had like five, 6,000 followers at the time. Um, I was actually, I had a bigger Twitter presence than I did on Instagram. So what I did was I hosted these zoom meetings and this was when zoom was hot. Everyone was all about it. You know, like, let's get on zoom, all that stuff. And this is when before people got sick of zoom, but essentially, uh, I was like, Hey, I want to host a couple weekly coaching calls. I want to get people to sign up for free. They show up. We just talk shop. There's like 30, 40 people in each of these calls. And I had like five or six a week. So my network grew very rapidly as a result of that. So that was huge. And I like, obviously right place, got lucky, right time, but you could do that in a form or fashion of in-person meetings now that COVID is over. Um, You could still do it over Zoom, but I think just taking that step is really important. And then that's gonna develop your network and then boom, you're in a really, really good spot. I also think podcasts are really good for that. Mm -hmm. The other thing I did was I made content that was uh, very much tailored to two types of people. Some of it was very, very specific because I think we, I think just as like content creators, I think it makes a lot of sense right off of the bat initially for people to go, uh, here's a very broad thing that helps a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But in doing that, you actually spread your net too far and now you have a very thin layer of value. Whereas if you were to say, this is exactly what your unique problem is and I might have the solution for you, then you have a nice thick 
uh, stack of value to provide to that person. So I think targeting specific populations with specific content and getting results from those and then sharing those results is huge. I've told, I've, I've heard people tell me uh, those um, reactions you get when, when you improve someone's range of motion, 30 degrees and like one set of five breaths, or you get these testimonials. Once that stuff comes, yep. people want to know how they do that. How do you do that? And I think that was really the, the steps I took was to develop um, content that was a little bit like, you know, I, I, I would say it was a little bit uh, flashy, you know, a little bit in your face. Like when you scroll down on Instagram and you see my, that color scheme that I have, like before your brain even consciously processes like whose it is, like you already probably know if you've been following me for right. any period of time that that's probably one of my posts and I want to be associated with high amounts of value. So I want that that color scheme to set a light off in your brain saying, this is probably worth stopping and, and yep. reading. That was all over the place. I hope that was helpful. Well, it, it was in a lot of ways and, and there's a lot of ways you can go, but to go on mm -hmm. your last point first, that stuff you don't learn until you're in it. No. The, yeah. you have, I forgot what the exact number is. It's, it's like 0.7 seconds to yeah. get someone to stop on your post. And you're right. When I see that purple line with the black background, it's a Connor Harris post. I'm probably going to stop. Yeah. Cause I want to catch the next one. Mm -hmm. Familiarity. People, people buy from who they know, like, and trust people like familiarity and they're going to stop to what is familiar. So I, that's the first, that's, and then the, the specializing and not, maybe not specializing isn't the right word, but knowing who your demographic is, is such a key. And you've clearly found yours, but that was also great advice. I got to the trainers out there or any field, stop saying you can work with everybody. Mm -hmm. It might be true to a certain extent, but knock it off not going to sell to everybody. You're not going to, and that's it. And that's the difference. The power of no is so great. You know, I, my athlete work is mine and I'm, I'm fortunate to do it, but my business works with 37 to 60. We get a little bit outside of that, but that is the, that is the, the downers grove area that I'm in. That is the people we work with. We work with people that have experience. I mean, life experience, mm -hmm. they have tightness, they have pain, they have families, they have careers. I know who I work with and they want to be around each other. I don't work with the 25 year old going to boot camps. Mm -hmm. I don't work with the 80 year old, mm -hmm. you know? So knowing my niche and making sure I did that was so much more helpful for me than trying to say, whoever you are, come on in. Doesn't mm -hmm. matter who you are. I'll take care of you. Come on in. Saying no was powerful in a good way. So I, I just, I love the points that you've brought up in terms of your content. You're phenomenal at that. And that is something that I can tell you, I don't do great at. I really struggle with consistency and content and it is hard. Yeah, it's hard. People yeah. do not realize how hard it is to continuously come up with a post a day. And we'll get into your platform too, which is impressive. But first, how much time do you spend on your content alone? On, on your Instagram posts, on your social media posts and the work that goes into those? This is what I found to be the most effective. I used to, I used to have so much I wanted to say that it just came to me. Like for the first year I was on the internet, just came like really, really easy. But then I got to the point where I was like, I'm running out of things to say. I don't really know what to say anymore. Uh, so in order to keep myself 
from losing my mind. And also like there was this chronic anxiety of I'm not putting out content. Therefore, I'm not growing my business. Therefore, um, this whole thing could implode if I'm not consistently getting better. So I just got better. And I just went and started, I bought a crap ton of textbook. I started reading things, synthesizing the information myself. And what I ended up doing that relieved a lot of stress out of my life is every Monday, I block off the hours of 8 a.m. to about 2 to 3 p.m. And all I do is I sit down, heads down, cool. I create all my content for the upcoming week. I will create a minimum of two Instagram posts. Uh, it used to be, I'm not tweeting as much anymore because I found just like more time invested in Instagram equals better profit. And Twitter just, I haven't, Twitter, like, I haven't gotten that much business from it, despite there being like, I got like, what, 15,000 something followers on there. People just don't buy stuff on, on Twitter. No. So I've also, I've taken that effort I put on Twitter and I've now redirected that to YouTube videos. So I'll create a YouTube video that's somewhere between 10 to 15 minutes long. I'll edit the whole thing. It's ready to go. I have one ready to post tomorrow. And I will also probably go and do some stuff for the, the group program to do some preparation for my presentation tomorrow. But all that said and done takes me about six to seven hours. Uh, but that's like, you know, editing a YouTube video, filming it, putting all this stuff together. If people didn't do that, they just got all their content prepped. I'd say maybe two, three hours, and then you're good for the whole week. And throughout the week, you know, like it's hard to sit there and think of an idea. It's hard to like sit there and just be like, okay, brain, give me something to put down here. What I found is things like meditation, things like, I don't know, just sitting there before you go to bed and just letting your mind decompress. That's when the good ideas come. So I have a little notepad. I will write things down. I have a little notes app in my phone. I'll write down a potential idea for a piece of content. And then once Monday comes around, I make it. Uh, it's, it's phenomenal advice. God, I mean, six and a half hours. That's what you gave me. That's, that's your Monday. That's six. Yeah. That's a lot of time. The days you sit there and say, what should I post right this second and hurry up and get something out? It's garbage. Nine times out of 10, it's going to be garbage. Like it, I, maybe the average person doesn't realize it, but you can't do that continuously. And I've been through that rabbit hole for sure. Where every day I'm just sitting there like, I know I have to post something. So let's just post this workout or let's just film this thing real quick and throw it out there. And it's not good. This takes time. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off there. Oh, no, go, go, please. I, I just like, you hit a really good point there about, I'm just going to post this workout or I'm just going to post whatever. I think that's good. You should show people that you are practicing what you preach. I think mm -hmm. that's massively important, but also I think people are inherently on there for a dopamine hit. So the best way to do that is to give them something that's helpful to them, yes. appeal to their, basically their ego, appeal to their clients, appeal to whatever demographic, whatever that person wants, give it to them. So I have three rules for my pieces of content. I say, is it simple? Is it immediately implementable? And awesome. is it either mostly agreeable or controversial enough to spark interest. Those are my three things. And awesome. I can't tell, like I put out perfect example. I put out a piece of content. I knew the engagement wasn't going to be good on it. 
So for example, it was uh, three exercises for restoring shoulder internal rotation. Didn't do that good, but I went into as much detail. I was like, this is what's actually going to do it. But I know the average person doesn't care that much. Right. But I also know that coaches are going to read that and go, that's really interesting. I think you did a decent job of explaining it, but it's hard to do that in an Instagram post. Not sure I get the full picture. So maybe I should take his course. That was my thought process behind it. Whereas you could like my split squat one, I put out a couple days ago was the best piece of best Instagram post I've ever made. Like it got the most engagement and because it's very like lots of arrows, lots of things that are very clear. And <laughs> I just think it was simple, like simple goes a long way, but the trick is to mix simple with things that people haven't considered before. 100%. Absolutely. The stuff you're talking about is complex. Yeah. So to make it, we were talking before we started the podcast. You know, I said that I'm a couple of weeks behind your course because of the way that I learn. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like to leave. I like to write things. Down. I'm old school. I, I have a notepad full of, full of content from your course. I like to write things down. I like to think it a few times and then I need to go apply it. All my staff is my test dummies and I love it. Yeah. But I had to go apply it before I could take that next step, which might be slower than you're doing your course. Mm -hmm. But your Instagram posts do a very good job of doing exactly what you just said, taking a complex subject that stays complex, but makes it just understandable, not really good word, enough that people are like, I, I think I got that, which yeah. makes me think that this course is not too complex for me to take. And that's where you get people in. And that's the young people I'm seeing on your course. And I know that because I hear their questions mm -hmm. and their questions are the same thing. They're on the right path. They kind of got it, but, but they need your validation. And especially, I don't know if you know this, um, Max, you know, who's very vocal on, on your page. We're, we're good friends. We've worked together for a long How time. How are you? Oh man, he's we great. We are. We actually, well, almost ran a race together this past weekend. That's a whole different story. There's a tornado warning and I didn't get to run, but that's a different story. But we were, but we were, we were in person talking about that exactly. Mm -hmm. Max is a great example of someone who, like, he adds value to my course by asking really good questions. People yes. listening to this aren't going. This is kind of a tangent, but I, I appreciate how he is engaged and asks questions and is very much putting in the effort. Um, yes. I love that about him. I, well, and and he is, and I'll tell him to go listen to this. And he'll take it as a compliment. Max will ask questions in a, in a re, in a complex way again, where the way he asks it, 90% of the people on your platform do not know what he asked because he's an intelligent guy. He's very intelligent. He's been through the courses. He's been through all the PRI courses. He knows his stuff pretty well. Mm -hmm. You do a great job of taking his question, spinning it to an understandable version of the question, and then making it digestible for the rest of the population. And I, and I, and I, some, and you know, again, being in this field too long, sometimes I probably, I'm that guy that when I watch a movie, I watch the acting and I don't, the plot is lost on me. Oh, me too. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I, I've been doing that for a long time, you know? So sometimes in your course, I get more into your speaking and into your answering than I'll, I'll lose the contents a little bit, which is okay. Cause I'm, I enjoy both sides, but I think you do a great job with that. Thank you, you have very complex stuff. So I, to, to go full circle back to where the question began, you know, what advice are we giving to people? One, I think people need to be patient mm. and understand things to a level that you can teach it. Because if you can't teach it, you don't know it. Very true. Bottom line, 100%. And, I've, and I think you prove that over and over that you can teach it. Because I've seen questions come in. I've seen questions come in that make no sense whatsoever. 
and I see you spin them into a good question and then answer it. Mm-hmm. And I and I and I'm always impressed by your ability to not make a face and to not make it seem like a bad question. And I know you're smirking now because I know you understand exactly the questions I mean. It's like you'll have some of sports radio. Yeah. When people call into sports radio, it's it might be my least favorite thing in the world. I hate when the general public calls into sports radio. I hate it. Mm. So I'm always impressed, though, same thing, at their ability to, to be patient and take those questions and do it. I think you do that really, really well. Thank you, man. That, that really. does mean a lot to hear. I appreciate that because that's something I put an effort into doing. So thank you. Yeah. And before we go on to the training side, I just want to make sure we wrap up that side. So, you know, as a kind of a quick recap, I guess, you know, you, you, were, you found a mentor, you learned the right way, you were patient and make sure you learned it all the way. And then when an, an opportunity arose, bad in terms of the world, you took it and, and you kind of ran with it. And sometimes people need to just keep learning until the right opportunity comes up because it comes because you make your own luck, kind of like you said. Switching gears a little bit. You know, I do want to get into the, I'll call it training side, but you know, for the population of mine that is kind of more probably the health observers, you know, that, that listen to more my disease prevention stuff. Can we backtrack to, not necessarily just PRI, but the human body? Mm-hmm. Can you give the easiest, simplest definition of the type of person you work with and maybe just the basics of, and I've, and I've had a PRI representative on this course, you, you saw. And he answered the same question really well. So I want your version of this. What happens to the human body as we develop? And why does it develop some of the things it does? And I, do, I realize I'm giving you a very general question, but I kind of want to, I want you to take it wherever you want to take it. Interesting. I guess I'll, uh, I'll think out loud with this. I think the human body, it's like nature and nurture, right? So we're born with a certain genetic predisposition. We're, cert- we're born with a certain limb length structure uh, relative to each other. All these different things are feeding into what makes us physically who we are. But there's also psychological considerations that play into that. And I think a lot of it is nature, but I think even more of it is nurture. I think that we're, if you take that part out of the equation, we're a blank canvas entering the world. Based on those factors, those uh, constraints placed on our body, then once we get into the world, more constraints are placed upon us. As we discover how to move in all of this stuff, like how to interact with people, how to walk, how to walk properly in society, how to play sports, all of these things. So basically, like the body is just reacting to different constraints. As we get older, we start to find the path of least resistance through those constraints, because ultimately what we're trying to do is move efficiently. We're trying to conserve energy because that's what our bodies are meant to do. So you take all of the genetic predisposition constraints, you take the nature constraints, you combine them with the nurture constraints, and you basically are a net result of that, depending on what you've been through. And all of those things I think are there for us to adapt to. So the body's adapting to find the path of least resistance based on the constraints that are contextual to the individual. I'd say that's what it is. Okay. So would it be accurate to take that and reword it as every injury you've ever had for any reason, every life experience, the way you live, the way you drive, the way you sit, the way you carry bags, the compilation of years on top of 
the nature part, the way the human body already is, eventually becomes who you are physically. Yes. Okay. Who is the average person that then seeks out you? The average person who seeks out me is, well, it's, it's interesting. Usually there's someone who has had an injury or they don't feel like they move well, something's bugging them, but they still want to train really hard and pursue whatever performance or fitness goals they have. But this has been a block for some time. So they come to me and they're like, Hey, this is what's going on. They've probably tried something like PRI, FRC, whatever before, and it just didn't work for them. So they're like, okay, what do I do now? This might be the person to talk to. So I usually will work with them from anywhere from a couple of weeks to a couple months. And then uh, some are just longstanding clients because then they want to transition over to fitness and just like train, which I love to do too. Of course. Uh, but Ultimately, it's mostly people trying to come back from an injury and still chase a performance goal. Okay. So are you getting the average weight loss person? Is that, is that person ever landing in your lab? No. Okay. So you're getting physical limitations for yes. the most part. Tightness, certain, certain levels of pain. Where do you start to separate? And I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here with an unfair question. You know, I, there, there's been a, in my mind, a positive melding of the physical therapy world, the orthopedic world with what people like you and I do. Yes. I think it's a positive. As there's, do I. You know, there, I, 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 I've been saying this for years that until we start to bridge the gap between what people consider medical and what people consider fitness and performance, no one's going to get better because people have too many voices in their ear and they have too many people and pulling them in different directions. Do you get, or maybe just what's your opinion on where that divider is between what that PT does, that physical therapist does, and what people successfully come to you for? Great question. That's a really good question. So ultimately, to be completely honest with you, I think what we, if we're talking about the concepts I talk about in the course, it is a fine line we walk. Mm -hmm. And I try to make that very clear. I have like a couple slides on it. Actually, like, yeah. this is important. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If you are a personal trainer or a strength and conditioning coach, you cannot diagnose someone. You cannot, you can't come to me with back pain and say, help me out. And then I go, all right, you have scoliosis. Here are some exercises for your scoliosis. But what we can do is you can come to me with back pain and you can say, this is what I got. I think I might have scoliosis or you just don't even say that at all. And then we do some assessments and I say, okay, this is the biomechanical presentation I see, which is associated with certain patterns of movement that may or may not be associated with pain. And therefore I'm going to design you a fitness program to help work around your limitations. And if you happen to get better in your pain levels as a result of this program, then you see what I mean? Like there's a little bit of this gray area. And I think yes. that it might make a couple of physical therapists relatively unhappy, which I completely understand because they went to school for all this stuff. They went to school for all of it. And yeah. honestly, I almost went that route myself, yeah. but I started when I was doing all these internships, I was talking to PTs, networking with them, starting to get to know them. And a lot of them frankly didn't like their jobs very much. True. And I was really blown away by that. They seemed 
bored, burnt out, and unhappy because they weren't getting a lot of results. So the best PTs I've actually worked with, though, have been the ones that have integrated strength, like taken their, gotten their CSCS. Yes. Ones that have taken like these more fitness professional courses and integrated it with what they're doing. Those are the ones I see. So I don't see why we can't also do the same thing, but into a respectful extent that will help us improve movement quality, but we're not trying to diagnose. I will, I refer out so much. I make it so clear in the course that you should refer out like 100%. I think in PRI, you can get into the dental system, the vision system, cranial bones. Swallowing, yeah. Swallowing. (laughs) Crazy, man. Literally everything. And you know, like I understand some of it, definitely not all of it, but I'm not going to do that. Like, why would I ever do that? I'm going to send that person to Zach Couples, who's a physical therapist. I've sent Zach a couple of people like, hey, this person's got some cranial stuff going on. This is beyond my scope. That's way better than getting sued. Uh, 100%. And uh, why spend the time? My big thing has been why spend the time? Yeah. Do what you're good at. If you create a good network, it's good. They're going to come back. I don't know if people are afraid of losing people, afraid of saying, I don't know. But this goes back to one of our earlier points. When you say you don't know, you gain more respect than you lose. That's and I think that's a tough lesson for the younger population to grasp. And I get it. I was there. Mm-hmm. But when I say, I don't know, here's someone to go ask, people look at you like, well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate the fact that you're willing to do that. I absolutely get seen as more intelligent, not less. Your description was perfect. And it's, it's almost verbatim how I say it. My job isn't to work with your pain. And if, if I don't understand your pain at all, I'm probably going to tell you to get checked out first and come back to me. But if you're not willing to do that, I'm probably going to find the motion patterns that don't hurt you, work those to the best of my ability. And if the pain and tightness you do have happens to dissipate as a result, awesome. We'll call it luck. Yep. You and I know different. I'll call it whatever you want to call it to keep it out of, out of in the right realm, I should say. But that's exactly it. And, I, and so I, I like your description because that's exactly what I use. It's 100% what I use. That's It's such a good way to walk that line and not step over it and stay respectful to yeah. what we're actually trained to do. Yes. Yeah. And, and still give respect to the people you are referring to who do have. And, and you said, and you're absolutely right. I have. I've worked, you know, I started working hand in hand with PTs. That was the, my first job I ever had was being in the same room and literally taking people who were wrapping up rehab programs and saying, okay, now you just go upstairs with Mike and you make this a fitness. But most of those people that came to me upstairs was just because their insurance ran out. Yeah. So if I didn't work hand in hand with some really good PTs, I never would have learned a thing. But PTs have gotten their CSCSs and they are better strength coach and they're better programmers, mm-hmm. which I think some trainers are threatened by, which again, I think is absolutely stupid. Yeah. Stupid. Because the better we all get, the better everyone gets. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's just ego at that point if you're going to be threatened by that. I think it's also like it can go both ways, you know, like if, if a PT is unhappy that someone like a personal trainer made someone feel really good, then it's like, I don't know, maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe that's, you know. Maybe that's a good thing and we should be collaborating on these things and seeking to understand each other rather than like thinking of these as separate entities. Couldn't agree more. And if we go back to the business side of it, I was in a seminar once, I think it was a perform better seminar. Mm -hmm. 
No, it wasn't. I was, I'm, I, I've been speaking for Northwestern University and Medical Center for since 2015. And it was there that I heard a medical professional talk about the fact no one has more hands-on experience with a patient, client, whatever you want to call them, than a fitness professional. You know, I, I see my members five, six days a week. They might see their medical professional twice a year, maybe, maybe twice, maybe, maybe once every two years. Uh-huh. And they're going to see their, their rehab specialist after pain has already arisen. That's a good point. So if, if they don't develop a strong referral business with us, they limit their ability because we are the ones that people are growing trust with initially. Yeah. So I, you know, and, and maybe we've gone down a rabbit hole here, but, um, but I think it's you know, one important that maybe if, if you're a person listening to this that is trying to seek out the right person for you, find the person that has a strong referral network because mm-hmm. then you're going to get a team. You're going to right, get the right person directly or indirectly somehow. Absolutely. And it sounds like you've, you've found that with what you do. It's Yeah. I, I think I have probably five people i feel comfortable that all specialize in something different that i will refer out to at a, at a given point and that's ultimately honestly my my goal is to have a gym and a facility that has all those people under one roof. that's like the end goal but very cool yeah i think it's important to strive to have that at least i think so too and i've i've played with that i've got a room directly over the, the wall to my right where i've always envisioned it being like a pt room that's where we awesome. had everything there and Maybe one day we'll get there. I've I've realized that it's it's harder than I thought it would be to get to yeah. get that going. But uh, but we're getting there. Let's play a game. Sure. It's my it's my favorite game to play with my fitness pros. Okay. And I've stopped using the word bad because it's become a very bad word to use. Yeah. Now, right? Everyone hates that word. Dietitians hate that word. Fitness pros hate that word. So we're not going to use that word. I want to hear three exercises. Only three. That you think, based on your experience, every human body needs. So if if you said, I'm going to give three exercises to, I don't care, I don't know who it is. And then I want to hear the opposite. I want to hear three exercises that maybe the general person is overdoing and could do less of. We'll put it that way. Mm, Okay, that's good. So I'll start off with the, the ones that are quote unquote good. Are we talking like for the goals of health performance so we're just talking like longevity. let's say let's say movement yeah let's let's movement. go down your your big thing so three exercises that if everyone does well that probably means they're going to feel a little better my number one is probably a pistol squat if pistol. you can do a pistol squat okay you are in a good spot like I- think about like what that requires to be like, you got to dissociate your sides of your pelvis. You got to go in and out of internal and external rotation, mutation, counter mutation. You got to be, you got to have a rib cage that moves. Yeah. Pistol spot is, oh yeah. That'd be you know, my number one. Uh, you know, and I, we got to go down a rabbit hole here. We have to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it anyway. And we're going to pause and we'll go back to the game. Unexpected answer. And this brings me down to this. I think pistol squats get hated on. Really? Because because everyone did them. But I yeah. think it goes down this path in our field where, oh, everyone likes this. Well, let's start, let's start talking shit on it yeah. because everyone likes it. Yeah. And I think, you know, everyone started doing suspension pistol squats and it became like a thing. 
and I, I maybe 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 this is already come and gone, but I hear more bad talk about pistol squats than good, which I agree is I think that's ridiculous. So it was a very unexpected answer out of you. Oh yeah, no, I think they're fantastic. Oh my gosh, like I'm talking like do a genuine one too. Like I guess uh, the closest second place I could think to that one uh, that would be similar, but because like not everyone can do a pistol squat. You can train no. for forever and just never be able to do one. Like a deep box step off with control. Ooh, that would be my other one. That would be sweet. Which um, I have in most of my beginner programs is is some type of eccentric step off. Always. Yeah, always. I think some sort of alternating pull upper body pull would be real like something like a weighted sled pull with a battle rope would it would just check so many boxes would check so many boxes i think that and you get so you, you get like grip work out of that you're gonna work pretty much all aspects of your back you're gonna get this alternating expansion compression if you want to use those words that would definitely something like that would be up there all your rotational factors are in play oh, there, right? Awesome. I mean, from 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 thoracic to pelvic to, uh, to to tibial femoral. I mean, you're right. You're gonna get everything. Everything. Yeah. Okay. I like that. All right. Third one. Third one. That one's tough. I'm trying to think. Like, honestly, I think some sort of like. Uh, just in terms of movement quality and in terms of like what's going to help people the most like this one isn't much movement quality as it is just like i think it's important to be able to do this well like some sort of staggered stance trap bar deadlift i think is awesome just for like okay. just the purposes of um it's not like completely symmetrical it's a little offset i think that is money because you can load that hip really well I'd, I'd probably have to do some more thinking on that third one, but I, I can go to a lot of different directions. You can make the argument that some sort of like crawl would be important or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, well, that's, and that's where I go to. That's exactly. So my, and we, I was, uh, who was it? It wasn't Kyle. Anyway, I forgot who it was. We we're talking about this, but that's, it's, it's a single leg component is, is common. Mm -hmm. I always have a crawl component. And so that's usually where my head goes is some type of, of coordinated ground component usually carries over to a lot of other things. I think so too. Yeah. So yeah. that might be in there, but you know, I think I like to get people strong. I like to have people be yeah. able to get, um, like, you know, build a little muscle too. So I think that's where the, my thought process went for that. But if we're talking strictly yeah. movement, then yeah, I could, I could definitely see a crawl being in there for sure. Cool. Before we go to the exercises, we should do less. I'm gonna go back to the pistol for one second for the opportunity. For the people that can do a pistol, most of them can do one leg, not the other. Yeah. Give me the the dumbed down version of why. So most people have an asymmetrical pelvis. In fact, I would say if you're a human being and you can agree <laughs> that we have a heart on our left side, liver on the right, diaphragm is bigger on the right, asymmetrical brain, we're asymmetrical. Like we're all in agreement. So wouldn't it make sense that your pelvis is slightly off kilter, just a little bit, just slightly asymmetrical that actually benefits us for reasons that probably go beyond the scope of this, but it's to our benefit to do that. But because of that, certain sides of the pelvis can be biased towards joint actions that allow us to get deeper into a squat than the others. So if you've got a side of your pelvis that is a little bit more externally rotated, and the other that's a little bit more internally rotated, that's going to be beneficial for certain things. 
Now we can compensate on top of that. And some people, the reason why not everyone has one side of their body where it's like, yeah, I can squat deeper, better here is because we compensate. This is goes back to our idea and discussion about how we develop as human beings, different constraints, different lifestyle factors, different genetics. Sometimes you can have a pelvis that now you switch which side can be better at these movements. So I think that's, I would expect someone to be able to get into a pistol squat much easier on one side than the other at first. Very rarely, I'm totally in full agreement with you. Do you see someone be able to do a pistol squat, both legs, total control looks great. That's very rare. Um, so I totally know what you're talking about there, but I think it also matches up perfectly with what we see with natural human asymmetry as it is. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's where I was going with the question too, is you know, you do a single leg assessment with somebody, nine times out of 10, someone's going to look at you and go, oh my God, this was so much harder here versus there. And, you know, and, and the why isn't all that complex. It's exactly what you just said. And it was great. All right. What, what should we be doing less of as a general population? What are you seeing too much of? You're going to, you're going to know the answer to this question. One of them <laughs> for sure is definitely barbell bench press. Good Lord. Oh, um, good answer. Yeah. 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 But here's the thing. Like it's not even a good exercise for your pecs. It's really not. It's it's, it's, it's shortening. Right. Terrible. It, right. It, it, like the one person that's influenced my thought process uh, pretty heavily on this is like Cassie Hansen at N1 Education. Mm-hmm. If you if you guys ever have seen like Athelian X on YouTube, like he was talking about this stuff. Like I think before he's just like, hey, you want to work this muscle? Look at the line of fibers and now match up your line of force with the muscle fiber orientation. There you go. You got a nice contraction. Bench press doesn't do that, but also it promotes so much compression of your entire body that if you do it all the time, like a lot of people like to do, you end up adapting to the demands imposed on your body. You even jam your cranium and your neck and your cervical spine into a interesting orientation to say the least. And honestly, it's not a bad exercise, but I think if your goal is pecs or like even pec strength, then there's a lot of different exercises you can do that will help you with that. And you don't have to do a bench press. I think hand in hand with that, a barbell overhead press is just as potentially detrimental. Obviously it can have some benefits. You can make the argument if you get better in your overhead press, your bench is going to go up. (laughs) Like, you know, like what do you have to do either? Sure. (laughs) Right. So I think most people, most humans, if not every human I've ever assessed does not have the amount of shoulder flexion genuinely to get into an overhead press position without compensating by arching their back a ton. And that's not to say you should never go there, but I think there's a lot better ways you can do an overhead press that don't require a barbell locking you into one hand position the entire time. The other thing I would say would be a bilateral barbell bent over row. I think that that exercise for a couple of reasons isn't very useful for most people's goals. I get it if the goal is like you want to develop the low back erectors, you want to, I don't know, get stronger back in a hinge position for whatever reason, I don't know. But (laughs) I do know that 
what that exercise does is similar to the bench press. It promotes a lot of extension, a lot of momentum. You're not actually recruiting the upper back muscles, the lats, all that stuff nearly as much as you can on a lot of different things. And Oh, by the way, you're doing an exercise in a position where you're going to fatigue the low back quicker than you are the upper back. So your rate limiting step and what's going to be limiting your output is not even the muscle group you're trying to train. And if you did want to train the low back, go do an RDL or something like that. 100%. Love that. I couldn't agree more. I have no disagreements, but uh, especially on the barbell. I am both, but the barbell bench, especially with my athletes, is something that we talk about a lot. I think you hit on a good point before I get into what I was about to say. The way I, I've always said this is, it's not that things are bad. It's that if I only have so many hours a week to work on my fitness or performance or weight loss in general, if I can do the ideal, why wouldn't I? Yeah. So if an exercise doesn't fit the ideal and I have the ability to do the ideal, let's do the ideal. Yeah. And I, and I think that's where the barbell comes in for me and, and most of my athletes is, I, it's not that I think it's bad. I think we can spend our time in the ideal. So let's, Let's do that. Paul Carter was another one who just had a recent, I don't know if you Ooh. follow Paul Carter, but he had yeah. a recent post about, not my recent, maybe but a couple months ago, about uh, the barbell bench press. Same thing from a hypertrophy standpoint, not shortening nearly enough as compared to the dumbbell bench press mm -hmm. anyway. So for a lot of reasons, but definitely from a performance side. But, but I like that point about just how we spend our time. And if there's a better way to spend our time, even if an exercise isn't bad, Having said that, you want to spend the last 10 minutes of your workout doing the things that maybe don't you just you just like doing, go do it. Here's but, the thing. Yeah. I still barbell bench press once a week. That's the yeah. thing. Because I, I love it. Because <laughs> so, you like it. Yes. Yes. And I right. think that's okay. And I, I spent a lot of my life getting that thing to a reasonable level. And I think that it can have some value, just upper body strength speaking. But you know, like if you like it, that's one thing. If your yes. goals are to maximize efficiency, wouldn't be my first choice. And I got one more for you, if, uh, if you don't mind. Please. If you're not a power lifter, a wide stance toes out squat. That uh, is, and like that is not giving you any more glutes than you think. It's not giving you actually, it's giving well, you less glutes, giving any. you more adductors. Yeah. yeah. And so sumo it, squat is what you're talking sumo about. Sumo squat, exactly. Right. Yeah, that's. That would probably be up there for sure. That's like a 1A, 1B type of thing. Oh, Connor, we're going to piss off a lot of people in this yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah. But objectively, like there's been studies that show that are not, not like deep, you know, peer reviewed studies, but like, you know, um, what I think, what did uh, N1 education do? They, they did something with like a Moxie and EMG and all these different things. Yep. And they showed pretty concretely like this is not the case and just biomechanically speaking it doesn't make any sense anyway no. so while you might feel that burn in your glutes it's because they're tight and you're trying to get it tighter but muscles have to stretch to contract that's the key should we compare that to the abductor adductor machines just for the sake of sensation in the glute exactly <laughs> yeah right. yeah yeah all right that's good and you know the point i was going to make was you know i i don't know and this maybe this wasn't on purpose but the, the you, know, you seem to go to a bilateral theme mm. in your exercises that we were that maybe we should do less, and uh, and, and again, may, I'm, I won't speak for you here, but I, I think my a lot of my answers go the same way of we should be able to move bilaterally, but from a efficient movement standpoint, how many movements 
outside of the gym can we point to that are so in a controlled environment bilateral? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I maybe never, Yeah, maybe never. So, you know, I, I think that's a point I like to get across to people is, you know, I had actually, you know what, last point, and we'll, we'll kind of start wrapping up here, but local football coach, I'm working with their team, you know, he's got 90 players. And we were talking about, you know, he brought up a study on testosterone and HGH in back squatting and just barbell work in general. And he goes, you know, I, you know, I've read that single leg work doesn't do the same thing. And, you know, we got, we got deep into the weeds about why that's so untrue and why his players are probably lacking because they weren't, we weren't split squatting enough. We weren't reverse lunging enough. We weren't loading those single leg patterns enough and why you can overload those patterns with so much easier than you can some of those bigger bilateral patterns. I kind of went down a, a rabbit hole there, but oh, I, I liked your answers because I think it totally fits. Totally agree, man. That's the thing. Like I, the, the simplest way I can put it is when you are doing something bilateral, you, you're telling the body to do the same thing on both sides of the body at the same exact time. But when we move, run, walk, jump, whatever, one side of the body is doing one set of joint actions. The other side is doing the opposite. You can load that in unilateral activities. And that's not, I still use like everyone that comes into this gym, all of my clients that aren't extremely injured, all have bilateral lifts as like their first lift in the vast majority of cases, because a, I know that you can drive high amounts of output. And if you pick the right tool to do it, then it's great. And B, I know people like to do that stuff. So it's important for people to like, you know, be able to go and, you know, extend bilateral, compress all that stuff. But the question is, can you leave it on the platform? Can you leave it in the squat rack once you're done with it? Yes. I, yeah, it's, it's a game of ratios, right? Do, do the stuff that you like to do in the right ratio and it probably never hurts you. And we can, we can go into nutrition on that. We can go into stress on that. We can go into a lot of things. The body can handle a certain amount of things in the right ratios, it's when we got outside of those ratios that we start getting into trouble. The poison is in the dose. 100%. Well said. Connor, let's, uh, we'll start kind of wrapping up here. What's sure. next? What's next for you? You know, you've, you've got these online platforms. You opened up your, your beautiful gym. I love it. You got, uh, you got in person coming in. Well, when he, when we hear from you in, in five and 10 years, what will you be doing? Man, that's a great question. I have no idea. <laughs> it's it's like, a good answer. Happened in the last, uh, <laughs> So much has happened in the last year. My ultimate goal, my dream come true would be to own just a premier massive facility where you have just all these different types of progressive people doing all these things. And it's like that performance team we talked about all under one roof. Everyone I could ever imagine, physical therapists, chiropractors, trainers, strength coaches, uh, I don't know, like nutritionists, like we can have someone that specializes in teeth and vision stuff, everyone underneath one roof who speaks the same language. And it's unlike an experience you can get anywhere else in the world. And I know what types of people I want to have uh, to make that happen. I just got to get a lot more money first. Uh, well, it's, it seems like you might be on the right path. Thank you. Uh, how can people find you? They can find me on Instagram at Connor, C-O-N-O-R underscore Harris underscore after that. Uh, my website, thepinnacleperformance.com. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's where I'm at. YouTube, right? Yes, sir. YouTube. Just type in my name. Get your YouTube. Connor, this has been great, man. I'm, I'm glad we got to do it. You know, like I said the, in, in the pre-talk, I get to see you talk at me and my screen most of the time. So it's good to actually 
have a conversation back with you. Well, it's good to chat with you, Mike. And it's good to get to know you for a little while. And it's, uh, it's an honor to be on. So thank you, man. Oh, thank you. Hang out for a second. To my fitness listeners, go take Connor's courses. Bottom line. As someone that's been doing this for a while, I can tell you how worth it it is. To my non-fitness people, go, go look at Connor's videos. Understand why you might be feeling some of the things you're feeling. And then uh, if you're anywhere near the Oregon area, go, go find him immediately. All right. Well, this is signing off. Listeners, I'll talk to you next week. Uh, we're going to be relaunching here soon. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to have Connor as part of my, uh, my next five. So Connor, thanks again. And uh, hopefully we'll do this again sometime. Appreciate you, Mike. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at marhealthandperformance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day and see you next time.